Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing, but then the next day. up to the nine foot homemade oak bar pour yourself a cold one my name is chris that's craig this is bucks in the basement trade deadline show i guess we would call this one and 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 in years past these have been days that we've just expectedly known they're going to move on from expiring contracts and a lot of the picks that they would go get would be lottery tickets and and i guess we're still in that mode i'm disappointed in the fact that they weren't buyers with a long-term focus on their future. Like, I will point to a pitcher that had nothing but but buzz around him that teams were interested in on deadline day in the name of Dylan Cease of the Chicago White Sox with three years of control and already a frontline top-of-the-rotation pitcher and ask the Pirates, did you consider the idea of moving some of the pieces you have because not every prospect works out. And that's the kind of deadline move where you're sitting there at the end of the day going, we have a high-end starter along with Mitch Keller. Let's gear up for 2024 in the offseason and let's go get this thing. And even if it isn't season, it's another guy that's got a little bit of control. I mean, I'm looking at J.P. Sears out in Oakland. Like You could have exchanged some pieces to get something proven in the majors because you have so many holes, especially in your rotation. Do you think I'm crazy? Because to me, I, I, I would hope that they at least kicked the tires and said, do we have enough capital in our minor leagues to go get a guy that would have three years of control that you could also move on from in a couple of years after you've hit the beginning of your contention window. And if Scott Boris wants to take him in the free agency, you'd get a draft pick. You'd get uh, a chance to trade him at the deadline if it wasn't working out that year. You could do something with that, but you'd have that piece for the beginning of this window opening up if you would have been more forward-thinking at the deadline, Craig. Well, the goofy thing to me is I saw something from Baseball America which said that like one in every five prospects like in these types of trades works out. And that kind of goes in line with which what, we, what we say, which is like around 30% of prospects you know, actually work out. So, yeah, I mean, I would think that you would not just sit back on your hands and say, okay, we're going to do the normal stuff. Because at the end of the last show, I did punctuate that you still kind of really needed to do those things just because unless it was your goal to, I don't know, maybe re-sign Choi. I've seen that thrown out there a little bit from some people just because he would be a quote unquote possible answer at first base for at least next year. I mean, your goal with these guys, when you got them, the rentals, 
you know, was to flip them over. But you do have to have some sort of forward thinking where it's like, okay, we're going to fill these holes and we're not going to be able to fill them all through free agency. So you would think that there would be, like you said, some sort of everybody saying, you know, trade for a starting pitcher. I mean, we have a glut of middle infielders at this point in time. And you see the types of trades that are made where it's like you get these rentals and you get these, you know, possible prospects, whether they're on, you know, the team's top 30 list or not, whether it's, you know, these lottery tickets who are down in, in the Dominican summer league, or even in like the, you know, the FCL or the ACL, that's the types of guys that we have like a ton of at this point in time. I mean, we've gone out and we've been pretty big on the international market. We've been pretty, you know, big in getting, you know, these lottery ticket guys back. So at some point in time, wouldn't you be one of the teams that would want to trade, you know, this glut of, you know, talent or at least perspective talent? Right, because it's not all going to make it here. I think that's the thing. I think that some fans will look at a prospect list and say, well, all these guys will be on my team one day, and how can you trade that guy away? But, I mean, I think a team, and I'm just using the Sox as an example because it was one of the big things nationally on Tuesday was that they may move a guy with three years of control to try to reset as quickly as possible from the debacle that was their rebuild that they they ran previously. Like, if the Pirates have a rebuild like the White Sox had, this is going to be a disaster because they their window never even really opened. And they're trading off now and trying to reload, and they probably should fire everybody in their front offices and start over, just like we'd be yelling, get rid of Ben Charrington if it got that bad. So you have a team that might be willing to move a guy with a bunch of control to reload, and what do they need? They need those versatile players. They need those middle infielders. You have plenty of pitching prospects that aren't going to be here in time for your start of the contention window, but there you could have put together a package. That's, I'm just saying theoretically. I, I would imagine other teams may have even more than what the Pirates have, and they may not have even gotten a seat at the table. But I'm just saying looking for a trade like that or acquiring a guy that maybe has at least one year of control, that if you get him in here and you start winning next year, the guy goes, I kind of like it here in Pittsburgh, and I want to re-sign an extension. You don't always get your guys through a trade through prospects, or through free agency. Sometimes you make a deal while a guy's got a little bit left, you give up a little bit more for that, you get him into your place, and then you're thinking more long-term. And I think that front offices that think that way generally do very well. And I will look right towards the Tampa Bay Rays because they made deals here before the deadline that seemed like that's what they were doing as well. I mean, Aaron Savale was essentially like, yeah, we're going to grab a guy who's still got a little bit more control. He's going to pitch this year. He's going to be a long-term thing. We're going to give up one of our high-end prospects for him. Right? They only gave up one piece. The Pirates had plenty of pieces like that piece. They were thinking outside the box and long-term. That's why they're so successful. Meanwhile, we're taking G-Man Choi, who we just got from them, and we're already moving on from him. It wasn't a big loss, all right? I mean, let's look at that deal right off the bat here. It wasn't a big loss. The only big loss in the deal where Rich Hill and G-Man Choi go to San Diego is the fact that I don't get to wear this shirt anymore. Uh, my, <laughs> my Dick Mountain shirt, I didn't even get a full season out of the Dick Mountain shirt. And, and, and you know, now I don't know if I can even put it on in my house because I was already taking crap from my 15-year-old, the hockey player, because he was just constantly like, Dad, you're going to go climb that mountain later? And he would giggle because he's 15 and he's juvenile. And, and every time I wore the thing, every time I wore it. Okay, so, so <laughs> the thing is, like, like, I don't, th- but on the other hand, 
these guys that got moved, Hill and Choi, they're two guys that I didn't see on this team next year. I really didn't see Choi as a long-term piece, just like I didn't see Santana as a long-term piece. They're going to have to do something else to fix first base. It's going to be free agency because they don't have anything in the system, or it's teaching Henry Davis to play first base so he and Endy and can switch off for the next, like, you know, five, six years, ones at catcher, ones at first, like, every game, right? I mean, that's like a possibility. I mean, I still think Henry Davis is home if he does stay is in right field. I've been that, you know, from the beginning of this. And we saw his his arm on display in one of the most recent games as to why he plays in right field. Because he, you know, had Bryce Harper like dead to rights at home base just because instinctively, instead of hitting the cutoff man, he, you know, threw the ball home. But yeah, I mean, first base, when I think back to this, Chris, I mean, I'm an old man when it comes to being a Pirates fan. But I still know that the last time that the Pirates developed the first baseman through in the, you know through their system was Kevin Young. I mean, Josh Bell was that for maybe like a total of a full season, even though it wasn't you know one complete season like a two you know one year. It was like a, a calendar year of a first baseman. But yeah, I mean, but then even looking at that, I mean. I still think that there could be, you know, you have to say if you couldn't get these deals done now that maybe you could get that deal done in the off season to acquire a first baseman, you know, like the Cardinals did with, you know, like a Paul Goldschmidt, not saying to get, you know, Paul Goldschmidt or to get, you know, somebody who is of that caliber, but to try to make those types of acquisitions because, I mean, the big thing for me is, I mean, you lose Rich Hill. The only thing you really lose from him is, you know, the innings for the rest of this year are going to have to come from someplace. Luis Ortiz- no big deal, though. No yeah. big deal. He wasn't a long-term piece. We said that when, when he was signed. We've said that throughout this entire thing. And the fact you got anything for him, that's what you had to do at the deadline. He was always signed with the intention of moving him for whatever somebody would give up. That's all he was. And Choi was like a lottery ticket. Is he going to continue to take another step or is he only this? And if he's only this, we're keeping him from a year, for a year and we're probably moving on. I think Choi's also, to be honest with you, him being traded may be because the Pirates are a little bit ahead of schedule. I think you could have said that the Pirates may have signed him for another year or two if they thought they weren't ready to go yet. But when they look at him, they go, not the answer if we're going to be competitive in 24. And, and there might be an itching now in the front office of saying, okay, we got to go out and take care of first base. We've got to take care of the rotation next year. And maybe, maybe that's why the hesitancy to trade Bednar, because maybe it's almost like we want to go out in 24. We want to compete for this division. This division isn't that, that great. And it is a division that if we add a couple of pieces and we should be able to do it, we do it. And Choi, if you're trying to be competitive in 24, signing him to anything a year or two, you know, extending him or anything like that, None of that would make very much sense because he's not the answer at first. So I, I get the idea of getting what you can. I mean, look at these, these prospects. Give me what you think of them. Which one's the best one out of here? What do you got to say about Rivas, a first baseman, Wolf, a starting pitcher, and uh, Suero, who looks to be an outfielder, all acquired by the pod, uh, from the Padres? Yeah, for me, I mean, Chris, as a West Virginia you know, Mountaineers baseball fan, Jackson Wolf is a kid that I got to see a decent amount of the 2020 season was cut short, just like everybody by the pandemic was having one of his best years, uh, came back the next year, you know, pitched pretty well, but, you know, didn't, you know, have that really high end stuff that, you know, people are looking for in those, you know, usually earlier rounds didn't, doesn't have like a high velocity fastball throws from a lower slot, 
uh, does have a really great, you know, slider. He can mix in a changeup, a curveball there. Uh, 16th ranked prospect MLB pipeline for the Padres is probably the the biggest get from there. Uh, was in, you know, double A. ERA doesn't look that great, but Chris, we always look at the whip. The whip is right around a 1.09, so doesn't put a lot of people on base. You know, very controlled pitcher and was moved up by the Padres to at least get a little bit of major league action. So he's a guy that, you know, you're looking at, you want to have these guys competing for starting slots uh, in the rotation for next year and in 2025. And I feel like right now he's like kind of one of those guys. You put him in with a Jared Jones and Anthony Salamito, uh, hopefully Luis Ortiz, Ronzi Contreras, if he ever comes back, Quinn Priester. So it's just adding to those guys that are at, you know, the upper levels of the minors. So he's probably the biggest get within this. Revis almost feels like, uh, kind of a throw in to this degree. I played for the Cubs for almost a full season. I wasn't, I think it was last year, uh, maybe the year before. And he, you know, he doesn't really hit that great. But when he goes back down the minors, maybe kind of like a quad A player, but knows how to play first base. So if you're worried about, you know, somebody who's not a regular first baseman there, it's somebody that at least fills in for the rest of the year and is maybe, you know, quad a fodder uh, yeah, at the end I mean, of next he's year not, he's not something that you're sitting there saying no you're not excited yeah, this guy, about this it. guy well let, let's see how he progresses this year and maybe he's in the mix next year if he's in the mix next year it's an issue something's gone terribly wrong in the in the offseason and you should be yelling about it yeah he's he's in triple a next year and he's you know hopefully you know if unless there's a major injury or something may not see the light of the day you know next year in 2024 um and then you know just another kind of like lottery ticket player but he, he's he's I mean, 17 years old and he's already, you know, stateside will be, you know, in the FCL. Um, so, I mean, that's just kind of like y- you want to do what Ben Sherrington's doing here is like stacking the system throughout. Um, I've heard multiple times have had guests on, you know, the minor league news and Bruce show that have said that, you know, the pirates FCL team is hands down that the best team, you know, in that league and it's not even close. So, I mean, if you're going to build from the bottom up, you've got to stack that system down there and then try to see who filters out through. But, I mean, those are types of guys you're not going to see for at least like four or five years, but they're also not bad to have because if you have enough of them, I mean, you go out and get Johnny Baseball, which I'm going to call him that because, you know, I don't know why. I think that's like a pretty cool name because I think of Johnny Football, even though he was a complete jerk. We're we're talking about Johnny Severino. Severino. That's who you get for Carlos Santana. What did you think of that? No, I definitely liked it. I mean, it was a guy that the Pirates were looking at, uh, had gotten your Donnie De Los Santos, who was around the same number in international signing, like, you know, over the $1 million mark, you know, wasn't too many places away from him as far as the the MLB pipeline rankings. Um, So you basically, during that, you know, international draft class have signed, you know, in essence, three guys from, you know, the top 30, all of them who got over, you know, million dollar signing bonuses. So that's just kind of widening that net. And it's kind of, you know, maybe taking up your odds a little bit that maybe one of those three will work out. I'm not saying that any of those three will work out, but you kind of have to like, you know, stack the odds in your favor there and to try to get as many, 
you know, lottery ticket type guys, you know, high end talent, like the high ceiling, you know, high risk, but, you know, possibly low floor type guys to hopefully see if one of them will work out. So I don't mind that move whatsoever. And especially for Carlos Santana, who's not going to play, may not play another year in major league baseball is, you know, 38 years old was a, it was good on the pirates. I mean, what's that saying? He was a 1.5 war player who was a still not, still not the answer at that position. Still at the answer that position. Base, if you're going to contend, if you're going to contend, you need more than what they had in Choi and Santana. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, yeah, like, absolutely. That's you, you needed it. And so anybody that's like lamenting the fact these guys have moved on or rich Hill, who is the same age as me. And it is, it could have been at the end for the last couple of years. He's not, He's not part of the. He's not going to factor in the twenty-four. You moved on. You moved on from three guys between those two trades, and you went and picked up four guys, of, of which, as you said at the beginning of the show, odds are one of them turns out to be a good ball player. And I would put my money on either the starting pitcher or the shortstop that you got from the Brewers, the starting pitcher from the Padres, or the shortstop you got from the Brewers, because you're either going to have the highly athletic, high upside guy make it, or you're going to find pitching that either ends up in your rotation or is a really good bullpen piece at work at worst. I mean, like that's, that's what you're looking for here. So there's, I, you know, look, I, the trades on their own in a bubble are good trades. Cause you got value for players that really don't have a lot of value. When you look at what teams were acquiring at the, at the deadline, there were far greater value players that were getting moved around for far higher value prospects. So the, you know, the, the Pirates really didn't have the pieces. I mean, Bednar, like we said, was probably the only piece that you could sit there and say, move him to a team, to a contending team, get back something really good, and say, we'll find another closer in 24 because it's more important to build everything else up and you can figure out relief pitching even in the middle of a contention season. You can go out and make a trade then to go find the guy at the back end that's going to help you in the postseason. Like, it's not the most important thing that you have to fill. but. I am still concerned with the idea that if the mindset is only trade expiring contracts for prospects and not look at actually bringing in a piece that is going to help you win now that's controllable, I think you're missing the boat a little bit because it isn't a far-fetched thing to say. It's what the Rays just did. It's what teams were doing when they were kicking the tire uh, the tires on Dylan Cease all day on Tuesday. I mean, as we're sitting here talking, there's like an hour to go in this deadline, and anything could happen here. We're, we're kind of like, well, we'll see what ends up happening. And but but and, and one of those guys may move. If they move, they're going to move for a price, and they're and, and they're going to move because a team was forward thinking, you know. And I would like to see the Pirates start to become more forward thinking. I'm waiting for the first sign of we're in for 24 to try to win the division. And I don't know if that happens now or if that and now in reality, it looks like it happens hopefully in the off season, but that's the sign I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for the sign of here's the signing or here's the trade that wasn't for the future. It was for the now it was for 2024 because we're ready to open the window and go. And I feel like you're right on the cusp right now, but is the, is the franchise is the front office thinking you're on the cusp right now, or are they going to try to sell something like we're still developing and we're all going to sit around in 24 Still waiting for the window to open, what, in 25? Like, I, I've been saying 24 since this thing started. I, I'm still waiting for the sign that that's actually going to happen. 
Yeah. And I mean, Chris, I could go with, I mean, I won't go back up on my, my, my David Bednar soapbox again, because everybody knows how I feel about what they should do with David Bednar. I mean, yeah, his, his bobblehead plays renegade and he's from Mars PA, but the numbers show that he's been a well below league average closer, well below league average reliever for the second half of this season. And if his bobblehead didn't play renegade and he wasn't from Pittsburgh, people would be talking crap on him. And I think that they, if they can get something good for him, I'm not saying move him just to move him, but if they could get something good for him, I think it's fairly short-sighted by the team to not move him for pieces that could help the team, you know, in, in future years, because if, if, you know, history shows itself, David Bednar for the last two years in the second half of the season has not even been anywhere near the same closer. He was in the first half of the season. Love the guy. The guy has a ton of energy, but I mean, I was just reading stuff. We play fantasy baseball, Chris, and reading stuff on, you know, David Bednar from an outside source. And whenever you see like the last three headlines on CBS Sports, you know, when, when I'm looking at stuff, you know, for our fantasy stuff, and it's like David Bednar escapes, David Bednar scuffles. I mean, it's it's not even like it's ridiculous to point out that last weekend he had a five out save when the fact is the first guy he faced, he gave up a hit, they scored a run, and he lucked into a double play when he had put, you know, walked a runner and, and like given up a single in the ninth inning and, and lucked out with like a double play. So I'm not even going to go with that. I mean, I, I could argue with people all day about that, but Chris, I do agree with the forward thinking type stuff. I'm having to move, you know, some of these pieces because I understand you want to figure out like what you have in all these pieces, but in some instances you want to figure out what you have in these pieces before the rest of the league sees it shown, you know, to you like up and in your face. Like right now you have Leo Pagaro up, you have Nick Gonzalez up, you have Alika Williams up, you have Jared Triolo up. So, I mean, you have all these guys that, I mean, have come up, they've, uh, you know, Nick Gonzalez hit well, but I, I said before, you know, look at his on base percentage. He's still striking out a ton. He's not walking. It's, it's showing that, you know, there could be, you know, some problems here, but now all the whole league gets to see that Leo Piguero. I mean, we're going to see what he's made of uh, Alika Williams. I mean, we just acquired him, you know, from Tampa. So, I mean, he had a good little bit in AAA, but who knows what's there. But, I mean, you're kind of showing your hand with all of these guys at this point in time. I mean, a lot of times, I mean, like we've said before, Chris, it's probably going to be having to trade, you know, what Ben Charrington looks for. Ben Charrington, when he's trying to trade for a player, is looking for, you know, like sometimes like these former, you know, number one, you know, first round draft picks. So people are going to start looking towards Tamar Johnson, you know, Bubba Chandler, a guy who we overpaid for, who, you know, at this point in time is in high A, is, has been performing well for this past month, but is also, you know, still has some of that shine and some of that potential before he, you know, possibly gets to double A and triple A and, and starts to get, you know, socks knocked off of him. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but you have to start thinking about that type of stuff to be able to make those types of trades to get, you know, players with control. When when somebody would be thinking, I know that what the, what the narrative would be nationally is like, you know, like who do the Pirates think they are? Do they actually think they're going to be competitive in 24 and 25 by moving on from a guy, you know, they just drafted last year? Well, maybe. 
or maybe they're at least trying to show that they're trying to be competitive uh, for that period of time. I don't know, Chris, it's a lot of stuff. It's, and here's the thing is we've never had, and we've talked about this from the beginning of this rebuild. We've never had the pieces that some of these teams have had to be able to make, you know, the rebuilds move a little bit quicker. I mean, people oh, remember how this started. Remember how this started. You had no control over any player. Remember that? Yeah. Remember, I remember, I remember back in the day when we were sitting around looking at this team and we're like, wow, you really could just start over tomorrow because nobody's under contract with this team. <laughs> we were we were laughing. We we're like, next year you're you just got a bunch of ARB players. Nobody nobody signed. Like it wasn't like they had like a ton that they were able to move on from unless they wanted to move on from young controllable talent. you ever see me out and about in Pittsburgh, you will always recognize me. And not just because of the white beard, but also because of the why that is always on top of my head. The hat I always wear. The Yin's brand. Proud partners with Bucks in the Basement. Three dynasties. One brand. Yin's. Finally, one brand to rep all black and gold. Follow at Shop Yin's for new merch drops and giveaways. Order online at WW Shop Yins, the emphasis on the two Z's, high quality comfort, lightweight materials, a new modern look for the black and gold, made for Yins by a Yinzer. I'm looking at Sam Roberts and Adam Klofenstein. These are two pitchers that the Cardinals picked up for Jordan Hicks. And this goes to the point. This is what I was trying to get to. This is, goes to the point of why you can move a closer to a team that's in desperate need of a closure, closer and pick up some pitching. Both these guys are in the minors right now with very low whips, nice little metrics, and are going to be in the mix in the future for the Cardinals. And when you look at this team and its need for pitching, especially starting pitching, they moved a closer knowing that you can replace a closer whenever you want to. And that's a smart organization in your own division who's always done a very good job of understanding how to move their assets. And I, I, I wanted to make that point because people are sitting around going, well, well you know, what could you do with Bednar? They picked up two pitchers. They picked up two pitchers that'll be here in a couple of years and that are going to be in the mix for them. And I would take that right now because you can go find pitching later. Yeah. And I mean, especially with a closer and, and people like will make the argument that, you know, Bednar's special and he's, you know, elite and he's all this stuff. And you can kind of believe that. But then in the same breath, they'll say, you know, you know, closers, it's not a dime a dozen like it was before. You know, people, you, you, you have this guy and you have to hold on to him. No, you can't make that argument when you basically got David Bednar as a throw in in a trade and he wasn't even that great within the Padres system. He wasn't even that great when he came up to the Padres and you're catching lightning in a bottle. It's just unfortunate that you're catching, you know, somewhat of a little bit of lightning in a bottle a little bit too early in this rebuild. I, if you could get David Bednar, and like I said, I'm still of the mindset that I don't know if I would want David Bednar in a playoff game, and I'll probably get, you know, blasted for that. But look at the last two years. He's pitched horrible in the second half of the season, so he's going to flip a switch and turn it around for the playoffs. But, Chris, that's, that's where I'm thinking is that if you would get – 
a, a solid return for him. No, you don't have to move on from him. You still have three more years and he still has enough of a reputation based on, you know, his season long ERA. Like that's the other thing that gets me is his ERAs in the ones, but he's allowed 11, you know, inherited runners a score in only 40 innings. That's, that's not very good metrics. He's 28th in relievers with an 80.9% left on base percentage. So that's your elite closer. But if you can kind of look at his overall numbers and you can get something for him, you can still do that next year. I was just basically thinking that if you could maybe, you know, get somebody into your system and have them up in 2025 rather than trading him next year, and it would be guys that maybe are in the mix in 2026, but maybe that's Ben Sherrington's plan because, yeah, fans would be upset, but you know what brings fans to the stands? I mean, obviously bobbleheads because the place was packed on Saturday, (laughs) but what consistently brings fans to the stands is winning. If this team is winning and David Bednar was traded, people wouldn't be saying, I'm going to protest this team because, you know, you're, you're not going to lose fans because of David Bednar. You're going to get people that are going to get upset, but you're not going to lose fans because if you would have moved David Bednar at the deadline, or if you move him in the off season. Okay. I, I don't know why people fall in love with relief pitchers. You know, it's like people who fall in love with the backup quarterback too. Like there's a reason the guy's <laughs> in the bullpen. There's a reason he's in the bullpen. He's in the bullpen because he couldn't be a starter. You think he grew up wanting to be a relief pitcher? You think that was like his plan? So, I mean, look, they're, they're not only replaceable, but the vast majority of them have hot years or a year or whatever, and then go away. It, it, it's far more rare to find one that sits around for 10 years and is consistently good. Most of them are up and down, have a couple of really good years. Teams are trading for them at the deadline because they just happen to be hot. And look at Craig Kimbrell. That guy was, that guy's up and down depending on which way the wind is blowing. You know, pitches really well for a couple years, goes someplace else, pitches terribly, goes someplace else, pitches well, has a really good first half, has a really bad uh, second half. You know, didn't even start out as the considered closer for the Phillies. Now is closing games because he's red hot. Guess what? He'll get cold again, and they're just hoping he doesn't get cold when they need him. That, that, that's 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 relief pitching right there. And he's a high-end relief pitcher who's made an awful lot of money, and teams have considered holding on to him, and teams have considered trading for him. And that's, at best, what you have in David Bednar. You know, there's there's no way that you can convince me that the Pirates are a considerably lesser team or that their window is not open any more than it currently would be, and that somehow the the uh, the rebuild is going to take longer and the process is going to take longer because you moved on from David Bednar. I don't think it changes your clock in any way. Yeah, it doesn't. And, I mean, people were kind of like we talked about, I think, last week, was trying to equate like Keller and Bednar, and we just basically said trading a starting pitcher versus starting, you know, guy that is A starting pitch- pitcher who's good. Yeah. A starting pitcher who's good. A starting pitcher that every team would want. A starting pitcher that every team would want right now in their in their rotation. You need that for your rotation because you got five spots you got to fill, and they're much harder to fill. It's very hard to fill starting pitching spots and to find a starting pitcher that now gets it. He's starting to show that he can get later in the games. It's even rarer. He's far more valuable than a guy who closes a game. There are guys right now on relief staffs, perfectly capable of closing a game, who are just blocked or haven't been given the opportunity yet. If you got a good scouting department, you're going to find them. This is not, it's far easier to find that than it is to find a starting pitcher. The people that were comparing the two of them, like that was the same thing. Trust me, the return would have been much, much different with those two guys on the market. It's laughable.
Yeah, and it's kind of goofy, Chris. And, and like we said, at this point in time, we want to be sitting here. I mean, at the trade deadline, it's probably not going to change much, but at least in the offseason, because right now, I mean, we still have, after the trade deadline, people will say, you know, we still have some of the same questions. And, and yeah, we do. Like, who's the first baseman of at least the next couple of years? Because we don't have the answer with that. You know, who is going to be, you know, the probably, I wouldn't even say three, four, five in your rotation, but at least three of the pitchers, you know, kind of within your rotation for next year and the year after. So, I mean, yeah, you would like some of those questions to be answered. I wish the team was a little bit more forward thinking. Uh, obviously, you know, as you said, within a bubble, each one of these trades is fine. I mean, you had guys, your goal was getting them to flip them. You got them, you flip them, you got a return for them. Uh, but at some point in time, you have to think outside the box because not every player is going to be able to come from within your system, which is basically proving that, you know, at this point in time, because, you know, we haven't found a first baseman for, I don't know, 25 years. I'm still waiting for that move, my friend. I'm still waiting for the thing that tells me they're in for 24. And and if it didn't happen at the trade deadline, then you just hope that you start seeing it in the offseason. Because otherwise, we're I'm going to start yelling. Like, I've been very patient, but I'm going to start yelling if the offseason is, oh, we went out and got a couple of journeymen, and uh, we'll probably be moving them at the end of July. That Like, that'll be a problem to me. Yeah, you have to get some solutions. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing.